Welcome to the G-Spot, the podcast that discusses topics relating to sex, dating and relationships with a focus on pleasure, connection and education. I'm your host, Heidi G, sex and relationship therapist, and I believe we are all entitled to a fulfilling sex life and relationships. The G-Spot, the best sex and relationship education you'll ever get. Welcome to the show. Today we're talking about new relationship energy, how to keep it alive and the power of compassion. Today I have Zach Beach joining me and Zach is an international yoga teacher, best-selling author, poet, love coach and founder of the Heart Centre Love School and host of the Learn to Love podcast. Committed to building a world-based and unconditional love and connection Zach regularly leads retreats, workshops, and transformational trainings on the opening of the heart and discovering our loving nature. Welcome Mm. to the show, Zach. Hi, Heidi. Thanks so much for having me. You're doing amazing work in the world, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I absolutely love the work that you're doing as Mm. well. I mean, you've got your book, The Seven Lessons of Love. Um, mm-hmm. poetry as well. You facilitate yoga at a prison. I mean, <laughs> tell me a bit more about all these things. You wear many hats, so please share. Um, thank you. I do kind of wear many hats, but it all stems from the same foundation. It all stems from the same roots, which is it all has to do with love. And I think mm-hmm. of my work in the world as meant to bring more love into it and help people love themselves, help people love other people and help us all love the world and the planet that we are on. And that's really just one of the most beautiful things about living with intention is it's just so open-ended. Like if your intention today was to let go, like there's so many ways you could explore that in your life. And so too, we can all bring more love into our lives and focus on building a world of love. And it really opens us up to just a world of possibility. And for me, it's been about working on the level of the body, the heart and the mind, So on the level of the body, yes, I love yoga, acro yoga, partner yoga, time massage, because it gets people to fall in love with their bodies again. Mm -hmm. And I love poetry because to me, that's the language of the heart and the language of love. Mm -hmm. And we do live in a cognitive-centric society. So I do work in the level of the mind in terms of writing uh, all about love and lectures and teaching on how to give people the skills that they need to have happy and successful relationships. So it's a big tree, but at the root, it's all about love. Yeah, I love that. So when did you start? Uh, When I was born? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When did you start this type of work, I guess? Because it's not every day you speak to someone. Well, not every day I speak to someone. And, I mean, even though I... I consider myself to be quite spiritual and I um, I love spirituality, but I'm a newbie. I consider myself mm. to be a newbie and I'm learning so much. So it's really refreshing to have someone like you on the show um, and just hearing you speak. And, I mean, you've mentioned love so many times and it just sounds so pure and relaxing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm going to ask again. Where, where did you, and how did you find this path, and where did it begin for you? Hmm. Yeah. So I was a little tongue in cheek when I said when I was born, but 
because um, you know it is a wonderful question like where do we begin and you know I want to just go back to a story I don't tell very often because it is a very personal one but I remember I was like 15 years old and there was this girl and she had a crush on me and we started dating and we were together for a number of months and then I remember her telling me that she loved me Mm. And I remember at the time being like, what? <laughs> like, I'm so young. I have no idea what love is. I haven't even thought about it. Can we just be kids and and do yeah. kid things and not be so serious? And yeah. she's like, well, if you don't love me, I'm going to go find somebody that will. And then she broke up with me. And then literally six months later, she passed away in a car accident. Oh, wow. And... At the time, like before then, I was like, you know, we had the rest of our lives to love. And then when yeah. that happened, I was like, oh my gosh, no, we don't. We only have right now to love. Yeah. We only have right now to tell the people in our lives that we care about them. And we only have right now to open our heart. And that's where I want to think it began. But it still took me a while to get there. And you mentioned you're kind of new to the spiritual world. So first of all, welcome. It's amazing here. We're so glad you're here. And to me, spirituality just is a fundamental search for truth. Mm. Like what is the lasting truth that remains when we move beyond the impermanence that we see in the world? And that's where my search began is I wanted to know the truth of why we are here, what's mm. the meaning of life, who are we and who is God. And every path that I went to, whether it was a biology lecture or a science lecture or a temple, or a yoga studio, is it all came back to love. Every path for truth that I went down, all came back down to love. So indeed, you go to the guru and he tells you, you are the love that it is that you seek. And then you read something like Mother Teresa or some Christian mystic like Thomas Merton, and he says, we know God through love, because mm. God is love. And then you go to the psychologist and they're like, the most fundamental human need that we all have is a need for love, connection, and belonging. Mm, mm. So it wasn't the first reminder that I was like, when somebody was like, oh, love is why we're here. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they all say. I also remember the Beatles, you know, love is all you need. Yeah. But I just kept hearing the same message again and again and again. And then I mm -hmm. was like, this is it. This is why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it does make sense. Um, I know that a few years ago when I discovered um, spirituality, um, you know, learned about gratitude, being grateful and mm. affirmations, but I found it hard. I'm like, well, what does loving yourself mean and how do, I, how do I be grateful when I'm not even happy? What have I got to be grateful mm. for? Um, mm -hmm. So I had to unpack that and it took me a while um, and sometimes it's just the simple things and like, I'm grateful for being alive. I'm grateful for the lessons that I've learned. I'm grateful for X, Y, and Z, um, and meditation. I'm still practicing meditation. And I know that it's ongoing. I have my good days and I have my not so good days. Um, but I'm really, I'm really discovering this whole self-love thing, what it means, um, feeling grounded, positivity um it's just and like you said it does start with yourself it really mm -hmm. does and it took me a long long time to understand that to know what that meant to feel it 
And sometimes mm. I still struggle with that. But, you know, I know it's ongoing. It's a work in progress. And I, I, I love it. I love the journey. Yeah, I was recently reminded of the quote, which is, you can be a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. (laughs) So that's you, Heidi. I love that you're saying, I'm still working on it. And so are we all. And at the same exact moment, we can love and accept ourselves wherever we are on the path. And that's one of the most fundamental truths I've discovered is that everything that we truly value, we truly want in life, like love, happiness, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, understanding, all of these things are practices. It's not like you're going to find it out there under a rock somewhere, but it's something that we cultivate in here right now. Mm -hmm. So when you're like, I'm having trouble being happy and I'm having trouble just finding that little bit of gratitude. And it's like, that's the practice, right? It's Mm -hmm. planting those seeds. And at first it's just earth, right? But you Mm -hmm. plant the seeds and you bring enough light of your attention and nutrients of your love. And eventually that happiness, that gratitude, that appreciation, it just grows. Yeah, absolutely. And as I tell my clients and a lot of people, the most important relationship is the relationship with yourself. It sets the tone for Mm -hmm. every other relationship you have. So finding that self-love within is so Mm -hmm. important, so important. Um, And speaking about relationships, (laughs) let's talk about the new Mm -hmm. relationship energy, (laughs) Um, which is something that I get asked a lot about um you know how do we keep that energy alive when my partner and I first met things were so great we're having sex all the time we felt like this it was just amazing I had butterflies and I want to feel like that again I want to recreate and I usually tell my clients it's about co-creating not recreating (laughs) but um, I'm I'm going to ask you Zach how do we Mm -hmm. keep that new energy alive well let's start with what is new relationship energy Yeah, it's a lovely inquiry, and it's something most of us in the West discover in our relationships Mm. because a lot of people go the opposite direction. There's still a a lot of arranged marriages in the world where you start at zero and you focus on growing your love. But we in the West, we have a fairy tale idea of love, and I often refer to the quote by Elaine de Poton, and he says, what most people call love is just the beginning of love. Mm-hmm. And there's many terms for it. Some call it limerence. Some call it new relationship energy. Some call it the falling in love stage as opposed mm-hmm. to the being in love stage. But what it all boils down to is that literally wired very deep into our brain, very deep into our evolutionary history, is when we feel that deep connection with somebody else, we feel an extraordinary amount of ecstasy and bliss and joy that we experience at the beginning of that loving relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's where we feel like we just met the most perfect person we have ever met in our entire life and that they're going to complete ourselves in every single way and we fall in love and then we all live happily ever after the end. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the fairy tale. Yeah, right. Yeah, the limerence. That's what I, mm-hmm. um, you know, talk about with my clients as well, um, which can last, you know, according to research, three to 36 months, um, but doesn't stay around. Um, and I know that the, the term was coined back in the 70s by a psychologist called Dorothy Tenov. 
Um, and I guess that's what people really hold on to and want. And like you said, the fairy tale ending, the happily ever after. Mm-hmm. They don't sort of, or a lot of um, people don't sort of look at the in-between as well, the highs, the lows. And what I say to my clients is, you know, relationships are not just about the good times. They're about how the um, bad times are managed and how mm. we support each other. That's what I believe is lasting love and energy. But anyway. <laughs> no, absolutely. You know, it's just the beginning of love and hopefully just the beginning of a long-term loving relationship but we can also have short-term loving relationships i don't want to say that we have to be in a lifetime relationship to experience love but a lot of people as you mentioned do indeed suffer and struggle when they come to the realization that their the new relationship energy feelings are not going to last forever Mm. and there's a huge spike of breakups when that happens. So you did, yeah. you were right. You mentioned it could be anywhere from three to three to six months. A lot of it just depends on how much time you're spending with your partner. Like if you spend every single day, all day together, it's going to be a shorter period of time. If you see each other occasionally, it'll, you can extend it out for a longer period of time. Yeah. Um, but when that relationship energy fades away, a lot of people think and interpret they're experiencing as they are falling out of love with Mm -hmm. their partner Mm -hmm. and it's that struggle and even the relationship therapist Harville Hendricks calls this stage the power struggle stage where we are shifting from what we kind of think of as idealistic love this idea we just found the perfect person ever to realistic love I should say that again I hit my microphone to realistic love, Mm -hmm. which is recognizing that there's no such thing as a perfect partner. And you also are not a perfect partner. And that's when the real work of love begins, because once the NRE wears off, then guess what comes up? Get your childhood wounds. Yay! (laughs) And your triggers and your past patterning. But here's the silver lining, is that those things are coming up in a romantic, intimate partnership so you can heal them. Yeah. And that's one of the most beautiful things about loving relationships is they are by far the best container for healing and growth. So there's yeah. a reason your triggers are coming up. It's so that you can shine the light of your love onto them to heal them and to grow together in partnership. Mm, yeah. And that totally makes sense as well. And I guess, you know, with relationships, um, to be intimate or a part of intimacy is being vulnerable. Um, and when you are vulnerable, that's usually when everything sort of can potentially come up. Um, it's, uh, I like having this image of um, being naked. <laughs> yeah, so, literally and metaphorically. Yeah, yeah, being exposed. And because um, I know that um, there's been a time where I met someone and, we were having amazing conversations and we connected on this level that I'd never connected with anyone before. Um, and it was just, it was nice. We, mm. um, we got along really well. There was this mutual attraction. But I guess as we got closer, things came up for him, um, past wounds as well, and um, he had to go and deal with that. And at the time, of course, I was really upset. 
I thought, my goodness, you know, we have been getting along, things have been going great for so long. But then I had to take a step back and go, actually, um, I needed to understand where he was coming from because sometimes we don't know our triggers or wounds until we are in certain situations. So I guess because we were both vulnerable um, and as we were developing a deeper um, connection, all these things came up for him. And I, I guess I need to be thankful that he said, actually, I need to go deal with this. This is what's happening. Mm-hmm. He was quite honest about it. This mm-hmm. is what's happening for me. This is what's come up. I didn't think it was an issue, but clearly it is, and I need to go and sort this out. So, yes, things, you know, do come up from the past. Um, and like you said, it is about shining a light and um, healing because, you know, mm-hmm. healing helps us move forward and we're not then um, controlled by our trauma. Hmm. Yeah, it's really wonderful that the that gentleman you're talking about was aware enough to recognize the dynamics that were going on with him. And then rather than, say, project it onto you, which happens so often, um, mm-hmm. people think that their partner is the, the source of all of their problems, um, mm-hmm. but rather set an appropriate boundary that, hey, this is work I need to do. I'm taking responsibility for it. I'm going to heal myself so that I can then re-enter partnership um, with a full heart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I yeah, I totally, I guess, can relate to the whole um, triggers and past mm. wounds coming up when you're in relationships. Absolutely. So, Zach, what should we expect when the new relationship energy fades? Hmm. Um, well, as I mentioned before, it's going to feel like you're falling out of love and it's going to feel like your level of like happy connected moments are decreasing. The level of say arguments are increasing and it's easy to interpret and project these feelings, say like onto your partner rather yeah. than recognizing that every relationship is a co-created reality. Like there's a third entity in the room of any couple and that's the relationship itself and recognize that you're co-creating this reality together. And this sort of fading away of new relationship energy, again, it's kind of written into our evolution. This is how we're wired to kind of meet with each other. But that doesn't mean it's written in stone. It doesn't mean it's like the death sentence of your relationship. It just means that once you recognize that this is a dynamic that happens, you can intentionally cultivate its antidote. You can intentionally do the things that are going to bring your relationship back Mm. up to where it was before. So one thing that is really recommended when you start to feel this um, experience is to intentionally bring novelty into your relationship. Because any new experiences stimulates those dopamine centers, stimulates those reward centers in the brain. And when you're at the beginning of the relationship, that's like the easiest thing to do ever. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, you love sushi. I love sushi. This is so great. Let's go get sushi. And you're continually learning new things, continually doing new things. Every activity that you do is probably something new that you're doing together. So just naturally, that dopamine, that excitement gets created 
And as the relationship goes on, you have to intentionally bring novelty back into your relationship. So specifically go to new places, go to new restaurants, try new things in the bedroom, outside the bedroom, hike up a mountain that you've never hiked before, get active, get exciting. And recognize that every relationship goes through this and you will get through it if you are able to notice when it's happening notice the triggers that come up don't bl- don't um blame or judge your partner for what's coming up but recognize this is your relationship and life is what you make it yeah absolutely and i guess in a way that's like um it's building intimacy and it's also a type of foreplay which is what I say to my clients, you know, foreplay is not just the physical act before you're about to have sex. Foreplay starts from when you finished having sex to the next time you have sex. It's <laughs> continuous. It is those conversations. It is checking in with your partner. It is helping out with the chores. It is trying new things. And um, a lot of people, um, I guess, you know, dynamics change in the relationship where you move in together and then you've got the responsibility of bills, mortgage, you might have kids, you've got demanding jobs, like things change. And suddenly the um, the focus is not the relationship, it's other things. And then um, couples often think, okay, well, what happened? You know, the, the spark is not there or we haven't had sex in six months or we would like to have sex once a month or whatever it might be. It's like, well, when was the last time you guys went on a date? It's like, what? Oh, we did that in the beginning of the relationship. It's like, yeah, so what about doing it now? What about continuing mm-hmm. it? How much time do you spend together? Oh, we both watch Netflix together. It's like, well, that's nice, but spending time, quality time, is not just about being in the same room together. It's about sharing energy. It's about connecting. Um, so... Yeah, it's so important Mm -hmm. to keep that alive and rather than just get complacent and get into a a rut or a routine, it is about sharing. It is about keeping it fresh and um, I think you said earlier as well, you know, um, it's about not spending so much time together but, you know, having your own lives and um, not living in each other's pockets, so to speak, because distance makes the heart grow fonder. I know it does with me anyway. <laughs> so um, it's, yeah, so, so important. No, absolutely. I mean, you bring up a lot and it's all so very true. I love your insight. And every relationship goes through this transition and it might look different, but the transition is like you go from dancing all night, yeah. you know, making out in the rain, like you're at the end of the notebook <laughs> and going on wild adventures, maybe doing a lot of drugs, having lots of sex, like snorting. I don't know who your audience is, but, you know, like snorting cocaine after, off each other's genitals, like really good, yeah. these crazy things and to like changing diapers. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, what happened to us? It's like, well, again, this is normal. It's something every relationship goes through. Yeah. But it's easy. It's um, it's not challenging to get out of that rut. And as you mentioned, to continue to date your partner, continue yeah. to appreciate your partner, tell your partner that you love them, that that they, um, all the reasons they make you happy. You know, there's this lovely interview I saw with Tony Robbins, and he was like. Um, 
He's like, how do you keep your relationship uh, going in the long term? It's easy. You just do what you did at the beginning of the relationship. You were, when you were trying to seduce your partner, when you were dressing up and going out together, when you were buying flowers because you wanted to impress them, right? Focus on what you're doing at the beginning. Focus more on what you can give rather than what you can get. Mm. And continue to date your partner for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. I love that. <laughs> and yeah, just one more thing, because when you mentioned that, I thought about what is known as the erotic equation. Yeah. And this comes from Dr. Jack Marin. And the mm. erotic equation goes like this. Desire plus obstacles mm. equals excitement. Yeah. And when you live with your partner and, you know, you're brushing your teeth as, as they're like sitting on the toilet, right? There's no obstacles. There's no like mystery and excitement and adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So there has to be some level of, you know, what you kind of think of as making space in your togetherness, some mm-hmm. level of cultivating your own independence, own passions, and making a little bit of space, making a few obstacles to really get the excitement level up and really bring that erotic equation into your life. Yeah, absolutely. So how can we keep the NRE going through the entirety of the relationship? Well, we already mentioned a few techniques, so I'll just like summarize Mm. for the listeners. One, novelty. Continue Mm. to do fun, exciting, adventurous things. Anything to get your blood pressure up, to get the adventure and excitement level up. Whether it's out of the bedroom or in the bedroom, it's going to really be fuel uh, mm. for the fire of your passion, right? We also we also already mentioned continue to date your partner, continue mm-hmm. to set apart an evening a week, maybe one, twice a month if that's all you have time for between the bills and the kids and the other responsibilities, mm-hmm. but don't stop dating your partner. Number three, we mentioned give each other space, right? We want to create that those few obstacles to create a level of excitement and really one way to just bring passion into your relationship is to cultivate your own passions that you have in your life like i don't know if you've experienced this Heidi, but i find when i see my partner do something that they're passionate about it's really attractive yeah absolutely and Again, recognize that at the beginning of the relationship, everything is easy. Everything happens naturally and on its own. And as the relationship goes on, you just have to be more intentional about it. And it can be easy at the beginning to say out loud all the things that you love and appreciate about each other. And it's so easy to grow complacent. And I, you know, coach couples, they've been together for two decades. And I'm like, when's the last time that you told your partner that you love them? And they're like, oh, I don't tell them that. They know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do they? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you have to be intentional about cultivating love, cultivating appreciation, verbally expressing the positive feelings that you have about your partner to your partner. Don't assume that they know. Tell them. Yeah, I like that. And the other thing that I suggest to my clients as well is to maybe get together and write a list or um, – write down things um, that you might like to try and you can even put it in a jar and, you know, before date night, pick it out, you know, pick something out and that's what you're doing for the next date night. Mm. Um, And date night doesn't have to be every week. I mean, if you can only afford to do it, you know, once a month or so, then so be it. 
do that. And it doesn't have to be anything big and expensive and fancy. I mean, I understand, one, we're living in a COVID world. Two, um, you know, people have kids and um, find it hard to get out or get babysitters. And there's one thing that a, a client of mine did and he said it works really well. They've got three small children. So once they put the kids to bed, they set up the lounge room, like nice music, candles, and made a cheese board and mm. um, got some wine and just sat in the lounge like they were on a date and had a date night at home and said that it just it works so well. Um, it was like they were, you know, they had just met and mm-hmm. um, my client said the conversation with him and his partner just flowed. It was just beautiful. Um, they ended up having sex that night. He said it was just a lovely night. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said in the fact that, you know, his partner was just able to open up and go blur because she actually felt like, oh, wow, this is sort of our time now. It's not me being a mum and chasing after three kids. It's just I can actually sit here, have a glass of wine with my partner and just be a partner rather Mm. than a mother for a few hours. So it really worked well for them. Yeah, that's a really wonderful story. Um, It just reminds me how much people don't realize like their external space and external environment affect their feeling of, say, excitement and passion and, you know, when you talk about like foreplay is everything like between when you have sex, which I love. I love thinking of foreplay as everything that happens like 24 hours before sex. And let me yeah. tell you, cleaning the house is one of the <laughs> can be one of the most sexy things that you can do. Yeah. You know, it's hard to feel comfortable and able to relax when you're in a messy house. Yeah. But similarly, you know, a lot of people here are still working from home and it's hard to maintain those boundaries. So I recommend for a lot of folks who like are even like working from home to like once you get off your work, change the lighting, ch- put some music on, light some candles, have like a really clear and obvious work life transition. Yeah. And when we mention like new RE fading away is we do start to shift from what's known as spontaneous desire where just like a thought pops into your head i should you know initiate something sexy with my partner to more like situational responsive desire and that we no longer get that like totally random thought or totally random like i should really go for my partner right now response like we do in nre but instead our desire tends to be situation dependent So a lot of folks, as the new relationship energy fades, you have to recognize that like it's okay to initiate sex even when you're not feeling like 100% up for it. Because you turn the lights, yeah, get the the cheese board, get the wine, Mm -hmm. make the situation as intimate and embodied as possible and you'll be surprised what happens Mm -hmm. when you do. Yeah, and a lot of people have responsive desire um, mm-hmm. and our desire and libido can change over time as well and I think that's what um, a lot of people don't realise or get stuck on. Oh, but I used to be up for it all the time and I used to feel like it and now I'm just waiting for the urges but the urges hasn't come but I'm just mm-hmm. going to wait. It's like, well, no, you don't just wait for the urges. Um, you know, some people, they enjoy sex when they're having it but it's just that build-up and they're expecting the urge it's like no it's about how you talk to your partner it's about how your partner talks to you it's about setting the scene it's about physical touch 
Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes definitely not about forcing. And of course, there's always consent. And those things are very important. Um, but sometimes we need to get, um, you know, the wheels moving, so to speak. And this mm-hmm. is also why, um, and I don't want to go off topic here, but this is why I um, encourage masturbation as well. Um, a lot of clients I see um, don't, um, you know, have low libido or have never masturbated or don't like masturbating or whatever. And I tell them about the importance of masturbation, how um, your body responds to touch and how your body um, needs to get used to feeling turned on. And it starts with you and you connecting with your body. Again, I guess that goes back to self-love, right? Because it is a part of self-love. And mm-hmm. your body remembers that and re- replicates that when we are with a partner. So, um, yes, responsive desire, very important, very common, Hmm. Um, and I don't think that many people know or a lot of people know that, you know, desire can be responsive and we all have different desires and if you have a lower desire, it doesn't mean that um, there's something wrong with you or that you're broken. No, not at all. Um, You bring up so many important points and to combine them with something we mentioned earlier is we are shifting from idealistic love to realistic love and realistic love recognizes that our life has different phases. Sometimes we feel very sexy. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have health problems that interrupt our libido. Sometimes we're on medication that interrupt libidos. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we really don't want to have sex, but then like you ease yourself into it and then suddenly you're feeling really excited. Sometimes it it goes the opposite direction, mm. right? And that's all about what partnership is about. It's about learning to navigate those differences, learning to navigate the ups and downs, recognizing, you know, barring the phrase for meditation that you can't beat the ways, that, but you can learn how to surf. And that's really what the successful couples do is they learn to surf the ups and downs and challenges of their lives. Mm. Absolutely. And sometimes we just need to schedule these things in. Life changes and it's not about, oh, this is just going to happen or it's going to be spontaneous or I just want it to be organic. I mean, look, we all do. But at the end of the day, when we have demanding jobs and we're tired and we work long hours and we've got kids and, you know, we need to schedule these things. We, um, for the people who are still going to work and travelling to work, we need to, you know, plan and schedule the time that we're going to be up and, you know, catch public transport if you do that and get to the office. Um, there are lots of things that we schedule in life and sometimes it comes down to scheduling sex and scheduling um, relationship time and uh, quality time as well. Um, and that can actually be fun. That can, you know, build up anticipation. Oh, you know, Thursday night is date night and what are we going to do for date night? Oh, I'm going to wear mm. my sex laundry and I'm going to shave my legs and I'm going to do this and that. So building up the anticipation can actually be really fun. And I guess it's like mm-hmm. if you are going to travel overseas, and I know that that's unrealistic at the moment, but, um, you know, back in the days <laughs> when you could <laughs> travel or you plan a trip, and that's what you're doing. You're planning a trip. You're building that in anticipation. Oh, I've heard of this restaurant. I want to check out this restaurant and um, I want to go here and I want to check out this place. So you're planning it. Um, so sometimes it's the same with relationships and sex and, build, you know, the quality time and um, building that, um, the intimacy and foreplay. Mm. No, I absolutely agree. I absolutely think that sometimes what couples need is to plan a sex night 
And it's fun as you get to look forward to it. You get to know what's happening. You get to plan for it. You get to anticipate it. You get to set the scene. You get to send each other like sexy texts, like as the week goes on. Oh, I can't wait till Saturday. And, and a lot of people think that, you know, like talking about sex, you know, um, is very unsexy because we're so used again to that fairy tale of like two people in love, like bursting through the front door, of their apartments and tearing each other clothes off. No conversation about barriers or STD testing or what they mm-hmm. like and what they don't like. And then you both have yeah. multiple simultaneous orgasms and you fall asleep without mm-hmm. even like taking a shower. Yeah. And so part, we have to dispel the fantasy notion, come to a realistic love, recognizing that, talking about your wants, your needs, your desires, mutual negotiation, planning. These are all really important parts of a healthy and vibrant sex life. And as you mentioned, masturbation is also part of a healthy, vibrant sex life. Yeah. If, if you look at couples, happy couples with successful sex lives, most of the time, I'm not saying everyone should do this. Uh, we can be sex positive. You don't want to masturbate. That's fine. But when you do look at healthy, successful, uh, sexy uh, sexually fulfilled couples, you do find that on the side, the partners do masturbate on their own because it absolutely frees up the relationship. Suddenly you're not forcing your partner to have sex when they don't want to, right? You're not entirely dependent on your partner to meet your sexual needs. And when you're masturbating, hopefully you're getting in touch with your own body. You're figuring out what you want, what you don't want, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. And then you're able to bring that level of entombment to your own body, that knowledge of what you like and is sexy into the bedroom with your partner. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Zach, I want to talk about compassion. So I wanted to ask you, what is compassion and what are the four components of compassion? Yeah, so changing gears a little bit. Oh, Uh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I can talk about relationship stuff, sex, libido, all the (laughs) stuff. I love it. Masturbation. That's why I'm a sex therapist. Um, And, my God, I can talk about it for so long. Um, And, yeah, I'm just mindful of, you know, this episode, compassion and keeping the energy alive. Um, So I wanted to touch on compassion a bit too. Um, So if you could just talk to that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. That's, we'll transition from the bedroom to the tea room. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we can talk about this extraordinary capacity that we all have as human beings, which is to cultivate and grow and feel our compassion. Yeah. So in short, compassion is for a desire for another person to be um, relieved of their suffering. And a lot of people get hung up on this word suffering. So I usually define that too. And suffering is any time something happens that you don't want to happen. Mm. Any time the way things are is not the way you want them to be. Right. So this big S suffering like death, loss of a loved one, sickness, pain. And then there's like little S suffering where we walk into our favorite ice cream shop and they're out of our favorite ice cream flavor, right? Mm-hmm. The Wi-Fi going out. Some people, that's big ass suffering, but there's tiny ways that we suffer in our life as well. Yeah. And it's a really just transformative emotion that we can cultivate that to me is kind of the missing piece that I see so much in society is we're lacking compassion. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And to help us further understand compassion, it can really help to kind of divide it up into four key components. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these are called the four dimensions, the four aspects, or four levels of compassion. And there's different ways to define them, but it's best to think of the four levels as cognitive, emotional, intentional, and motivational. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the four components are first a cognitive or mental awareness of suffering, recognizing that someone is suffering. And then there's the emotional response, which is our empathizing with someone that is suffering. And then there's the intention or a wish for that suffering to be relieved. And then there's a motivation, a readiness to act to this suffering. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the, a lot of our knowledge about compassion does come from the Buddhist tradition, um, you probably know the first noble truth is most often translated to life is suffering. I just like to think of it as an observation that there is suffering in the world. We yeah. will all eventually deal with sickness and old age and death and have a chronic frustration that we can't always get what we want. And compassion is one of is also one of the four Brahma Viharas, or what is sometimes known as the divine abodes or noble qualities, along with loving kindness, empathetic joy, and equanimity. And these are qualities that they say once you embody them, you become a noble person. These are like homes that you can simply live in. And this is so important when we recognize that every human being is having challenges in their life, whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whatever your race or your sex, is we all experience suffering in our lives. We all experience times in their life where things aren't the way we want them to be. Mm-hmm. And we can extend our compassion to these people. We can actually see the world through the lens of compassion. And it's a wonderful way to even interpret people's behavior, what they say and do. We can see them also through the lens of compassion. Okay. I like that. It's just sort of, just took me back. It's just making me think about a lot of um, things in my life Mm. where there's a lack of compassion. I guess where I felt there was a lack of compassion and where I have felt that I've been compassionate or could have been a bit more compassionate. So it was quite interesting. So, yeah, sorry, you just had me in a bit of a trance there. (laughs) (laughs) You really got me thinking. Um, And I guess that leads me to my next question as well. So what what does it mean to see the world through the lens of compassion? Hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I'm often reminded of a quote that's been attributed to Shanti Deva. And he asks, where would I find enough leather to cover the entire surface of the earth? And Shantideva being the guru that he is, he answers the questions. So he says, but with leather soles beneath my feet, it's as if the whole world has been covered. Mm. And I've also heard other phrases where you say like, you know, we could cover every thorn and every rose so as not to get pricked or we can simply wear shoes or wear gloves. And this is really fundamentally the kind of like emotional resilience that we seek to cultivate in our meditation practice and in our practice of simply living from our heart is that life is going to give us extraordinary challenges. Even our own emotional experience can be extraordinarily challenging. We experience pain, suffering, we experience hatred in ourselves and hatred of others. And it can be really easy to say, push away such emotions, repress, suppress, numb such emotions. Mm -hmm. 
But if we bring compassion to it, then we're able to, first of all, fully be with those emotions. We have to be present with suffering in order to extend our love to that compassion. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about seeing the world through the lens, it's having this open heart and a strong willingness to face the challenges of the world. So just as like if you were to wear sunglasses, it makes everything in the world appear darker. So too, we can see the world through the lens of love and compassion. And it also changes everything that we see and experience in this world. We're able to fully be present Mm -hmm. while keeping an open heart, which is like the Mm -hmm. ultimate challenge for so many people. Um, is cultivating what we kind of call in meditation a strong back but a soft front, a willingness and a courage to go to the places that scare us, to go to the darkness Mm -hmm. and see even shadow aspects of our own selves, having this courage while remaining open, free, and loving. Mm. I like that. And how can we be more compassionate to ourselves? Mm. Yes, it always comes back to ourselves, right? (laughs) And our self, extending compassion to ourselves is a really wonderful place to start. And I generally go by the paradigm that they call mindful self-compassion, which was developed by a few researchers, uh, Christian Neff at the University of Austin, Texas, and then um, Dr. Germer was uh, the co- co-developer. And they developed what's known as mindful self-compassion, which has three components. The first one is mindfulness, which is our capacity to be with what is. So earlier you were talking about spirituality, right? And I think a lot of people misconstrue spirituality as simply attaining higher states, better states of consciousness and bliss. But while that can be an important component of our spiritual practice, What we do really want to cultivate is not necessarily attaining higher states of consciousness, but being able to be present with what is, with both the good and the bad, increasing our capacity to be present in this moment through the ups and downs and challenges of our life. So absolutely, absolutely to be more self-compassionate to ourselves, we have to have a willingness to be able to be with and hold our suffering. Mm -hmm. And then the second component is um, kindness. Mm. And, you know, even the Dalai Lama said that um, compassion is the radicalism of our time because of how much it, like, runs contrary to what we're often encouraged to do. And it's easy to, like, not give love to oneself because either, A, we don't think we are deserving or worthy of it, or Mm. B, because it can seem selfish or vain or narcissistic to actually give Mm -hmm. love to ourselves. But the Dalai Lama also said that kindness is his religion. And in part of making love our religion, we can make kindness our religion and also be kind to ourselves because so easily we're often our own worst critic, right? Our inner dialogue often says things to ourselves we would never say to anyone else because it'd be far too cruel, right? You... You know, you you knock over your coffee and you're like, oh my God, you're such a failure, right? Yeah. And then the final component um, 
a mindful self-compassion is what is known as our common humanity. And this is my favorite one because we don't want to wallow in our own sadness and suffering too much, but we want to connect any challenging emotional experience that we are having with the larger human condition. Mm-hmm. And that's what our common humanity is about. It's recognizing that any challenge that you are going through in your life, guess what? Other people are going through that exact same thing. Yeah. Other people have gone through that same thing and other people will go through that same thing. So that final uh, connection to our common humanity really opens up our sphere of consciousness uh, to all beings everywhere. And the more we are in touch with our own emotions, the better able we are to empathize and connect with other people who are experiencing those same emotions. So if you are looking to be more compassionate, those are the three steps. Practice mindfulness, mm-hmm. practice kindness, treating yourself like a good friend, and then connect your personal experience to the larger universal human experience. See you, the microcosm, as a reflection of the greater macrocosm. Mm. I have to say that I have been a bit more mindful of how I do talk to myself. If I forget mm. something, um, you know, sometimes I catch myself going, oh, Heidi, you idiot. Or it's like, oh, my gosh, Stop. <laughs> you know, you would never talk to anyone else like that. So, mm-hmm. no, you forgot it because you've got 101 things on your mind. It's okay. You're human. You make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes every now and then. Um, so I've become a lot more mindful. And I have to say um, over the years of being more mindful of how I talk to myself and react to things, I realise that, my gosh, that's actually quite harsh. I can be quite harsh mm-hmm. towards myself. Um, so I need to, you know, give myself a break and cut myself some slack um, and recognise, you know, the positives and the good things and um, don't beat myself up over the things that are not so great mm. or the mistakes and learn from it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Zach, um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences, your expertise with everyone. And I have certainly learned a lot. And I think this is the great thing. Um, I mean, as a relationship and sex therapist, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm always learning and I love it. And um, I just want to thank you so much Mm. for coming on the show today. Well, thank you again so much for having me. You're an amazing listener. You're an amazing interviewer. And I know you also know a lot and your clients are lucky to have you. Oh, my God. That's just beautiful. That's <laughs> so much love there, Zach. <laughs> love. I hope so. <laughs> Send me to you halfway around the world. Oh, thank you so much. I feel it. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow me on social media at Heidi G Spot and check out the website at HeidiGCounseling.com. Join me next time on the G Spot because the world is a better place when there's great sex and relationships.